theyeshiva.net. So the Gemara says in Meseches Gitten, Dafnun Vavamud Beis. This is the famous Gemara, the fifth Perik of Gitten, Perik Hanezaken, where the Gemara dedicates a few pages to the story of the destruction of the second base Hamikdash. The second base Hamikdash was destroyed through Titus, Titus, Titus Arasha, who was the son of Aspasianus of Vespasian, who was first the commander of the Roman legions in Judea, and then later became the emperor of Rome, and his son succeeded him in the position of being the commander of the legions, the ones who were responsible to defeat Judea, to defeat the Jewish people, and to destroy the Beis Hamikdash, and to crush what was known as the Great Revolt of the Jews against Rome, following uh, decades and decades of uh, horrific oppression. So there's one moment that the Gemara describes in Maseches Gitten over there that is unforgettable. I mean, many unforgettable moments, but one that I want to address here today. And I'm going to read it in the Gemara. Um, the Gemara describes what Titus did when he came into the Beis Hamikdash. The type of behaviors, the way he cursed, his promiscuous behavior, relationships in t- inside the Beis Hamikdash. The Gemara says, "Tafa zayna biyade nichnas lebeis kachya kadoshim hitzia sefatayra va'avra la havera." He had the audacity to uh, take a zayna harlot with his hand, go into the holy of holies, open a sefatayra on the ground, and on top of the sefatayra engage in promiscuous relationships. That's how uh, debased and depraved the behavior was. Next, not al Sayaf, the Titus took a sword and he he stabbed he stabbed the Parechis. The Parechis was the curtain the veil separating the un, the holy from the holy of holy, the Kodesh HaKadoshim from the other sections of the Beis HaMikdash. V'nasa nes, a miracle happened, v'hayadam mevatsbitz v'yoytze. Blood spurted, blood oozed, that flowed from the curtain, from the parechus. Ukesavur, so Titus foolishly thought to himself that Harag es atzmoi, that he killed Kevayachel, so to speak, he killed the creator of the world. The Gemara doesn't say those words, as he thought he killed himself. It's a very interesting expression. Rashi says, it means, kinoi klapi maila. It's just an expression, really, it means he thought that he killed heaven. Because look, he stabbed the parachis, which is the curtain protecting the Holy of Holies, where the Divine Presence dwells. And what happens? Blood comes out. So this means that what? He managed to do the unthinkable. He managed once and for all to get rid of God. 
And then the Gemara continues about Mikamoicha Ba'elim Hashem Ba'elim could mean powerful, it could also mean mute ones. There's no one who is as a mute, ilem, mikamoicha be'ilmim, be'elim. We say in the morning, mikamoicha be'elim, be'ilmim, there's nobody who could be as mute, kivayachal aziribayin ha'shalad. Why? She'meya ni'utsoi v'gidufoi shalaisi rasha v'shaisek. He can hear the words, the horrible words of this wicked person, and God remains quiet. Hashem's ability to remain silent is infinite. And then the Gemara continues that uh, Titus took the Parachus and he turned it into a container like a big basket and he filled it up with all the vessels of the Beis HaMikdush and he put it in the Parachus like the Parachus became this huge container and he put it in a boat to go to Rome with the vessels of the Beis HaMikdush and to... Uh, you know, brag about his extraordinary victory. And then there's the famous story where he decides that he wants to uh, fight with God, this God who he already got rid of once. You know, now he has to get rid of God on the sea. And uh, the mosquito goes into him, the flea that goes into him. The whole continuation of the story about Titus, it's, it's a fascinating and incredible story. The question is, the Gemara says a miracle happened and blood came out. Why? <laughs> Why would blood come out of the Parechis? Just so that he should think that he could kill, that he killed, so to speak, the Creator? Why would blood come out? So Taisva says something very moving. Taisva says, Hashem was telling the people that you should know that this is a difficult moment. The destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, I'm not oblivious to it. There's a lot of pain involved. It's like blood is being spilled. Kivayachal, that was the idea. The question still remains, what was the significance of this particular symbolism? I mean, there's a lot of ways through which Hashem could convey that there is tsar, it's kashal of Nehemakim, it's difficult. But what is the meaning of the fact that the moment Titus, God doesn't just convey that it's painful. He also allows Titus to feel that he killed the Kivayachal, that he he murdered the God, the Rebbeinu Shalalem, so to speak. God forbid. So it's not just he's showing the Jewish people that there's pain. He's also giving in to Titus, allowing him to think that he shed divine blood. Other ways Hashem could show that Churban Beis HaMikdash was painful. But there has to be a particular symbolism and meaning in this very experience. So, the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe in Lakuta Torah, Parshas Bamidbar, has a Maimah B'Shah Sheikdimu Yisrael Masal Nishma from Gemara and Shabbos in the Sugi of Matan Torah. And he says there something very uh, powerful. Balatanya says that the Jewish people were shown at that moment something very real, something extremely authentic. And that's the theme that we began developing about Shoifech Dam Ha'adam Ba'adam Dama Yishafech. 
that the Medrash compares the Chetei Tzadas, the sin of the tree of knowledge, which is the origin and the beginning of all the sins and transgressions throughout history, to Shvichis Damim, to spilling the blood, which apparently, what's the connection? Somehow there's a deep connection between Shvichis Damim, between spilling blood and every Aveil in the world, every sin in the world. Every time the human being chooses to alienate himself or herself from the divine will, from the divine plan, which we call an Aveir, or we call this a transgression, a mistake, a sin. It's an act or a word or a thought which creates dissonance and disharmony between the human being and the divine cosmos, the truth of the divine flow that vibrates through reality. Which, in other words, there is a heartbeat of creation. There is a a rhythm. That was the word. There is a rhythm of creation. That rhythm, that heartbeat, is the divine energy of it. Like the Baal Shem Tov once said, that halacha, the word halacha, which means law, and also means movement, is an acronym, it's Rosh is Hariyu Lashem Kol Haaretz. Let the whole world sink to God. What's the connection between Halacha and Hariyu? Hariyu is He Lashem Kol Haaretz. Halacha. He Lamed Chafei. Hariyu Lashem Kol Haaretz. We say it in the chapters of Tehillim that I said Friday night before Lechadaydi. The six chapters of Tehillim, Hariyu Lashem Kalaritz from Tehillim in the 90s, in the, in the chapters between 90 and 100. Because what is halacha? Halacha means I'm living a life of harmony, of oneness with the heartbeat and the rhythm and the, and the song, the symphony of creation. All of creation is a symphony. That's why Chazal have Perik Shira, the chapter of song. Chapter of song, they ask, what does the frog sing in the morning? And what does the sun sing? And what are the lions and the bears and the hyenas? You know, what do the squirrels sing? What do the birds sing? You heard this morning. They're now, the birds are now up very early because dawn break is pretty early. <laughs> and they zing in, they zing in, they're singing. Now it's ready for them. You know, they're getting ready to sleep. But uh, early morning, that's the time. So Chazal went and analyzed and gave us the verses that each one of these beings are singing. Now, what's the idea of this? The idea of this is it's a very powerful symbolism and a truth that the whole world is a one symphony. And there's a rhythm, there's a beat. And that beat I can be part of. The all differences between me and everybody else is the frog doesn't have a choice. And the squirrel doesn't have a choice. And the gazelle and the deer here in the forest don't have choices. And the birds, they're just like programs. They're part of the symphony, you know? They're like the electric uh, instruments that you program. And it's a spilt, it's a gate. They're part of it, but it's embedded into their genetic makeup. With a human being, we have choices. I could choose to be part of the symphony. Or I could choose to create a life of dissonance. Dissonance means I'm separate. I like extricate myself out of the rhythm of creation because I want to do things on my own. But what am I extricating myself from? I'm extricating myself the heartbeat, the life force of me, of creation. But that's the uniqueness of the human choice. 
comes the Medrash and says, every single such act is called Shvichis Domim. What's his Shvichis Domim? Whose blood are you pouring? And the answer is, Shoifich Dam HaAdam B'Dam HaYishavach. Kivayachal. V'noikiv Shem Hashem. Means not only cursing the name of God, it's rupturing. It's creating a hole in the name of Hashem. And that hole, what does a hole do? There is the light of Hashem in the vessels, which means in the structures of creation, every single thing has the light and the energy of Hashem. When I do an Aveda, I rupture that name so that the energy, the blood, which represents life force, soul, Hadam Hu Nefesh, that blood now <coughs> spurts out. And where does it go? It goes to places where the blood doesn't belong. It's like I take a stab a stab at myself and a stab at the world and that blood, that divine energy which is vivifying and animating and giving vitality to me and to the world, now that blood so to speak goes elsewhere it gives vitality and energy to the realities and the forces that we call klippa, which means unholiness that which is antithetical people or things or realities or ideas or behaviors that are antithetical to holiness, because klipa means a shell, a husk, which eclipses the heartbeat of creation. And that's the meaning of shayfech dam ha'adam be'adam dama yishafech. You remember in Parshas Noyach, if you spill the blood of man, be'adam dama yishafech, through man the blood will be spilled, but it's a very interesting pasuk. So, the way the Balatanya explains it, based on the works of Kabbalah, of the Arizal, is Shefech Tam Adam Be Adam. There is the Adam of Kedusha. What's Adam of Kedusha? Adam is a living organism. There's the persona, the living organism of holiness in the world. And that has a blood flow. And Adam here is not just one person. It's the Adam, the persona, Adam Ha'elian, which includes all of us. It's the living organism of holiness, which every human being is a reflection of. Adam, Adam, Elian. As the Shalah says, the word Adam doesn't only mean earth, it also means Adama, I am a reflection, Doima, I'm a reflection of the above. So Adam has a living organism which has blood. That's how the organism functions. Can't live without blood, as we said, Adamu Anefesh. So there's an Adam de Gdusha, there's a persona, structure of holiness in the world, and that includes everything. It says, Every person is a miniature universe. So the larger cosmos is just a person, but in a larger form. The human being is like a miniature form of the universe. And that's why the Avaz de says that anything you will find anywhere in the cosmos, you will also find in yourself. Of course, in a miniature form, you're not going to find every uh, turtle and every rhinoceros and every black hole in yourself, but you could find every black hole in yourself and every star and every insect and every reptile and every fish and every bird and every bush and every shrub and every tree because the Adam includes the whole world. That's why we could fix the world. You can't fix something if you're not connected to it. You know that. You can't fix something if you're outside of it. We include the whole world. That's what the Balatanya says in the Torah. The Maral says it, and there many, many Svarim, and therefore we could repair the whole world. So therefore, the little Adam, the, per, per, the Adam, the person, you and I, essentially are a reflection of the big Adam. The whole world is a person. It's an Adam of Kedusha. Shoifich Adam Adam. 
when I do an Aveira, I take the blood of the Adam of holiness and I spill that blood. That blood flows into the other Adam. There's another Adam, which in Kabbalah is called Ketoyf Bifne Adam. It's like a chimpanzee or a monkey or a gorilla that imitates a person. Because what does Klippe do? Klippe imitates Kedusha. So it's like also a person. It has its own substitute life, but it's unholy. But it makes believe it's an Adam, like Ketoyf Bifne Adam. It doesn't have real substance because when I imitate you, meaning I'm just, I watch what you do and I do the same thing. But I can leave a very good impression. Because all energy is really divine. So therefore, there's only one heartbeat of creation. Either I can choose to be part of life, or I can choose to be that part of that which looks like life. But at some point, it's going to catch up to me. As I gave an example, I'm, I always give you this dramatic example, but it's I think it's helpful. You know, a person sells their soul, they live a false life. So it can go on for a while, you know, they, they play the game. It looks like life, but it's not life because it's rotten from inside. It's like uh, another metaphor we often give. Soviet, Soviet, the communism of Soviet Russia. It was all a lie, all based on lies and propaganda. There was nothing substantial about it. But it looked like there was something real. It took 70 years, and then it was so rotten, it just vomited itself. <laughs> it couldn't lie to itself anymore. There was not a bullet shot in 1989, 1990 before the Berlin Wall fell and communism fell. Why? Because it, it was always a lie. It just rotted. It, it decomposed. It almost like it, 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 it vomited. The system itself vomited itself because there was nothing there. But it looks like an Adam. The same is true with a lot of philosophies. Today also things that completely, there's no substance to it. It's just based on delusion and stupidity and propaganda and lies and deception. There's no substance to it. Its power is clipper. It's just a nice cover-up. You know, the clothes have no emperor. When clothes have no emperor, there's nothing there. Just clothes. It looks like there's an emperor. We have the emperor has no clothes, but sometimes the clothes have no emperor. So, when I do an Avera, what am I doing? I'm taking the blood of Adam and I'm spilling that blood into the other Adam. The Adam of Kedusha. The blood now flows into a whole other reality, a whole other perception in which there's dissonance, disharmony between the divine oneness, which I and we are all part of and a reflection of, into a substitute reality that God allowed there to be called Klippa, that we have the ability to choose if I'm going to dance to the heartbeat, if I'm going to dance to the beat of life and be live, I'm living in the present moment, the power of now, or I'm going to disassociate myself from the dance of life. And that's, by the way, the idea of living in the moment. Living in the moment, today there's always, it's a big discussion about living, you know, power of now, living in the presence, living in the moment. It's really the essence of Judaism. People think it's like this uh, revolutionary idea that was discovered now to live in the moment. This is what the Baal Shem Tov was saying about Hariul Hashem Kala Aretz. Living in the moment means realizing that right now everything is happening. Because there's a dance, there's a, there's a rhythm going on, there's a symphony. I was once, uh, when I was a child in yeshiva, I was in a choir. And... Uh, in the choir, in the choir, so we had a children's choir, 
the director was a man named Eli Lipsker, Oliver Shalom. He passed away not very long ago, I think like a few years ago. Many of you remember him, Eli Lipsker. He was a musician, and he had an Eli Lipsker choir. So we had a bunch of kids in school who joined the choir, my school, my yeshiva, and quite another few schools. And it was pretty good, you know, once in a while we would go to these concerts with Joe Amar and uh, Mardichab and David, and, you know, the singers of the time. Uh, Avram Lafried was just coming onto the scene then. So uh, I still remember we were at a concert. I can't remember which song it was, but we were at a concert. Pretty, very little kids. We were very young. It was a cute bunch, and uh, it was some of the, some of some of them sang actually nicely, and I'm sure some didn't. And uh, we started to sing, and Nelly Lipsky was there, you know, and there was uh, somebody near me who uh, either he started another tune, or he was completely offbeat. The pitch, I think he went very high or very low. I don't remember exactly. Now, what do you do? In practice, you know, you could start rebuking, but here the whole crowd, is. there was a big concert. I think it was a Mitzayi Shabbos big concert. What do you do? So Eli Lipsker was trying to steer at this child and with his hand, you know, motion that he should get back into the rhythm. But I don't think he understood so he, cont- he continued his rhythm, his pitch, his song. And uh, if he would have been quiet, it wouldn't have been a problem. But the fact that he was singing, it created such a uh, distortion. Because you right away saw, you know, there's the power of the unity, of the synchronization, of every all the children singing in unison, which creates such a delicious, sweet sound, very exquisite, very heartwarming to the soul. And then you have that one person who chooses or doesn't choose just to uh, create that dissonance and sing a different tune or a different beat and the equilibrium is gone. And essentially that's what we're talking about. We're talking about in a very deep way that a person needs to choose to be able to be part of that. And that's what Kedusha means. That's what holiness means. I'm living with the ongoing divine symphony. And an Avera, the word Avera comes from what? Lahavir, Maivir. I transport myself and part of my energy and part of the world, what I'm interacting with. I transport a Maver from the domain, from the Adam of holiness into a different domain. I take out that energy, which is part of God's symphony, whether it's me, the actions I'm doing and a certain part of my blood, my energy, and that which I'm interacting with. I may be eating something I shouldn't be eating. I may be saying something I shouldn't be saying. I may be doing something that I shouldn't be doing with my hands, with obviously my brain, my mouth, my ears, whatever it is. And I may be interacting with a part of the world. And in all these cases, I am maver, I'm transporting it from the holy to the unholy. Asks the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the Maimer. But one second, God created Klippa. 
If God created Klippa, he gives it energy. You can't create something without energy. Everything has life force. It doesn't have life force, it doesn't exist. So what do you mean that the person comes and gives blood and energy to the clip? It already has its blood. It lives. The answer to that is, there is clipper and there is clipper. The word clipper is not bad. Clipper means a shell. So many fruits have shells that protect the fruit. They're not the fruit themselves, but they protect the fruit. They allow the fruit to grow on the tree successfully and ripen up without becoming damaged. And then they continue to protect the fruit from decomposition. It's the layer above the fruit, the layer or the, or the, or the, or the husk or the peel that protects the fruit on the tree. And then later, even after harvest, it protects the fruit. It protects the fruit from all types of bacterias and infections. It protects the fruit from the scorching heat or from the moist of rain. It protects the fruit from various infections and it protects the fruit from rot, rotting and decomposing. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And then we peel the banana or we peel the orange or we peel whatever the fruit is. We peel the kiwi and we eat the fruit or we crack the, the husk of the nut of the walnut, the eggs, or the another another peanut, or whatever nut we're eating, or fruit, and we have access to it. We discard the, the clipper, and we have access to the fruit. So clipper shell is not bad. Sometimes it's actually the greatest accessory and helper and assistant to the fruit. It allows the fruit to survive. Says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, when the world was created... Klippa had a place. The definition of Klippa was that it was Shoimer Lepri. It was a protector of the fruit. Its job was to be there for the fruit, to help the fruit reach its goal. That is Klippa in its ideal sense. Not an enemy, not a tyrant, not a foe, but actually an accomplice. However, that definition of Klippa can change as we will see. What does this mean in the avoid of a person? In the way of a person, it means that even though we talk about the fact that there is divine oneness and Enoid Mulvadai, everything is part of divine oneness. And one of the most grotesque qualifi- qualities and characteristics is gaiva, hubris, pompousness, arrogance, self-centeredness, self-aggrandizement, narcissism and all the other words that come along with the Balgaiva, the person whose ego becomes inflated, that's true. Because the definition of arrogance is a clip. I become a husk that eclipses the truth that I am a manifestation of divine light. And suddenly, my ego becomes the center of the universe. And as we say sometimes, ego stands for easing God out. Ego, E-G-O. That's all true. Nonetheless, for a person to begin serving Hashem, they must have a sense of yeshus, a sense of a healthy ego, or what you might call today in English, a healthy self-esteem. Because one of the greatest techniques of the Yetzirah is telling you, miani umani, Who am I and what am I? In fact, 
The Lubavitcher Rebbe once said, this was uh, on Slichus, Slichus nights, one of the, the third night of Slichus, Tavshin Chavtes, 1969. And he said over a mimer then, it began with the words, I think, Anila Daidi Vidaidi Lee, 1969, Tavshin Chavtes. And he said something incredibly powerful. He said, what's the Yetzirah of our times? The Jewish people have been through so much. And uh, they have been through decrees and, and holocausts and pogroms and massacres and autodefes and expulsions and savage suffering. So in that sense, the Jewish people are so refined. He says, and there's not a Jew in the world who didn't have a hero tshuva, who didn't have a thought of becoming better, according to his or her capacity. So the Rebbe asked, what do we still have to do tshuva for? 1969, what do we still have to do tshuva for? And one of the things he said was then, that the Yetzirah comes into a person and says these four words, mi'ani omani. One of the great sins of our generation is, who am I and what am I? It's the notion that I am so far, I am so remote, I am so valueless. I am so insignificant. How dare I even think that I can begin to serve God and have a real relationship with Hashem? Especially in this Maimer here that we're learning from 52, Tavshin Yud Beis, summer 52. What avoid this Hashem? It means to serve Hashem. Serve Hashem doesn't just mean I'm doing nice things. It means I'm serving God like a servant. What does a servant do? A servant helps the master. Servant just doesn't do nice things, whether he's gardening or he's harvesting or he's building or whatever his task is, he is serving, he is doing something that the master cannot do on his own. He's helping the master in his life, whatever the form of help take, whatever the form of help is, but that's what he's doing. That's what an Evid does. Chazal tell us, Avodas Hashem means Meisifim. The expression of Chazal, Meisifin Koyach bePamal A Jew through his service increases the strength, so to speak, of the divine reality. I know it needs explanation. We discussed this at length in our Shir Tuesday night this week. The title is: Does Hashem really need me, and does God care if I daven or I don't daven? It was a pretty long class. Uh, but I would suggest if you have time, especially the last 45 minutes, the last 45 minutes of the last hour, you could put it on double speed. That's the secret. You have to put it on double speed so everything goes faster. So we discussed that at length. The concept that Avodah Hashem means is an expression in Kabbalah, which a lot of people, when they hear it the first time, they're like, oh, it can't be. But these are some of the greatest Kabbalists who write this. This is not... Uh, by why why didn't invent this? Avoided Sayyuch Gavoyahu. He. Avoidus Hashem is a need of Hashem. It's a need of heaven. Does Hashem need me? Does Hashem need you? Yeah. Hashem needs you. You say, what do you mean? He's perfect. He's infinite. He needs me. <laughs> Are you joking? Well, what am I? It's like it's like telling you God needs an ant. God God needs ants. God needs mosquitoes. God needs bees. Now, the, 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 you need an ant. Do you need an ant in your life? Without an ant, you're going to be missing a lot. 
And the relationship between you and Anand, between me and Anand, is much closer than between me and God because the the, the DNA that I share with Anand is significant. <laughs> so the closest to me and Anand is closer than me and God because we're both created and God is a creator. So the gulf between the ant and I is finite. You know, I am a little bit more uh, evolved or developed. Fine. My brain is a little bigger. Okay. Even though ants are not lazy, right? Shlema Melech says in Proverbs, you know, go to an ant and learn how not to be lazy. Go to an ant colony and look at it. <laughs> Fascinating verse in Proverbs, so you learn how not to be lazy. Ants have something that we don't have also. Their discipline, no laziness, and the way they work together. You know, you can have a colony with a million ants, and they all work in synchronization. Scientists call them a superorganism. Because it's not one organism, it's a million bodies, a million ants, but they all work like one organism. Unbelievable. And they never went for training, for arbitration and peace and and, and, and how, how to work together and cooperation and how to run a company and how to run a corporation, how to keep the team together. And this is a team of 20 people. Here you're dealing with a team of a million ants. It's incredible. So what does it mean you say, oh, Hashem needs an ant, Hashem needs me, but Chazal tell us, it's not the main discussion of this Maimer, that through our Avedis Hashem, we do something very real, not just for ourselves, for ourselves, for the world, for history, for all of the worlds, and Kevayachal for Hashem himself, and the other way as well. The Pasuk says in Azinu Tzuri Yelot Chateshi, through your lack of Avedis, through my absence of Avedis, of service, I weaken the force of the divine. So the Yitzhahara says, who do you think you are? Me and the Imani, you? You think that's real? It's a joke. You're just a little insignificant creature. That expression of the Yitzhahara, that insight seems so idealistic but it's really very, very dangerous. It's one of the most successful tools employed by the Yetzirah. As he said in Yiddish, You're dealing here with serving Hashem, and you know who you are, how dare you think that you can come and serve God. Remember your position. And that's why the Rebbe says, in the beginning of Avodah Hashem, you need to have a little yeshus. You need to have some sense of, of what's called a healthy ego, a healthy self-esteem, a certain sense of appreciating your identity and your value. Why? So that you won't listen to the Sahara and you will serve God. Your life has to matter to you. You have to see the value and the significance and the beauty and the amazing opportunity in your life. You have to be able to lift yourself up and say, yes, I am significant. Yes, I am valuable. Yes, I do matter to God. And yes, I can do something that nobody else before me or after me has ever done. Oh, but this can lead people to a lot of arrogance and and they become self-centered. Here, the self, the sense of self helps Avodah Hashem. 
It's crucial for Avodas Hashem. This is not a foe of Avodas Hashem. This is not the arrogance that we're afraid of. We say, oh, this will undermine your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse and your relationship with other people. No. This is something that is an assistant. This is like the shell of the fruit. It helps the fruit become ripe. We'll see what happens when the fruit becomes ripe. What do you do with the shell? time to get rid of it but the at this point yeshes even though we sometimes talk about yeshes as a clipper this is a clipper that is helpful it's important it's vital it's good it's beneficial a person has to be able to believe in themselves a person has to be able to lift themselves up and tell the eight sahara don't use those words when that voice we have a voice that comes in. not all of us but many of us have a voice that starts playing in your brain you know that voice and the voice is, eh, it doesn't matter, man, man, man. I'm a loser, I'm an idiot, I'm a shaita, I'm a fool, I'm an idiot. Especially if somebody told it to you as a child. The voice remains in you. And we all know, deep inside ourselves, we feel unworthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy of life, I'm not worthy of happiness, I'm incapable. Who am I? You know those words, who am I? Who am I to be successful? Who am I to be powerful? Who am I to live an amazing life? I'm just, you live, what's the word? We surrender to live a, the expression of a poet. We surrender. Many people, most people live lives of quiet desperation. Quiet desperation becomes the status quo. And we have great religious reasons for it. God is big and I'm small. I'm mortal. I'm frail. I'm weak. I'm in a bad mood anyway. I anyway ruined so many things. I made so many mistakes. And look what an idiot I am. And I look at what I did yesterday. And look at what I did this morning. And look what I did a half an hour ago in the Sahara. This is the way to go. Come on, come on. Make a chashben anafesh more. Come on, let's go. Let's examine more of your flaws. And it sounds so idealistic. You're doing shuva. You're not doing shuva. You're going into depression. You're going into depression. You're wallowing in the quagmire of despondency and solitariness, which takes you away from your divine mission and purpose. And this is one of the techniques that toxicity uses to demoralize and degrade people. And therefore, this type of yeshes, which means a sense of my own value, is paramount and vital in the beginning, in the beginning of Avodah Hashem, as a foundation to serve God, to be able to appreciate. It's like the, you remember we learned a Maimah before Shavuos, from the Balatanya, the Torah, why Torah was given on a mountain. And yet Chazal say, it was given on a humble mountain, on Sinai. There were other mountains who competed. Mount Carmel, Hara Carmel. Other mountains, Har Tover, right? Har Chermon, Tover V'Chermon, B'Shimchi Yiraneinu, Lama Tiradzdan Harim Gavnunim. Hashem chose Har Sinai, the expression of Chazal is Mochich Mikol Turaya, the humblest of the mountains. Says the Balatanya, if the Burnish Lelem wanted to give us Torah to teach us humility, so why give it on a mountain? <laughs> give it in a valley. <laughs> You're telling me he chose the humblest mountain, Sinai, Sinai is a humble mountain, and it didn't even come with the other mountains to demand the Torah to be given on it, because it was so humble, it felt inadequate. Great, to teach us humility. Moshe Kibbel Torah Mi Sinai. 
says the Madrash Mu'al, Moshe received Torah from Sinai. He learned from Sinai how to receive Torah with humility, with Anova, with Bittl. Says the Alter Rebbe, don't give it on a mountain, give it in a valley, much more Bittl. <laughs> Go down into the valley. You don't want to give it in a valley? Give it on plain land, flat land. What are you going into a mountain and now you need the humblest mountain? It's an interesting question. And what's his answer? His answer is this answer. His answer is, of course you need humility. But in order to receive Torah, you have to have the component of a mountain. A mountain is elevated. A mountain is inflated. A person has to be able to recognize their power, their greatness, not just as part of the collective, but also as an individual who has things to do that nobody else can do. <laughs> I shared a story Tuesday night. It was I thought it was a very moving story. I really appreciated it. I'll share it with you. I heard it from Rabbi Manus Friedman. He told me that he was once called to go to a hospital because there was a Jewish teenager who tried to commit suicide. It didn't work, and he was hospitalized. And they realized he's Jewish, so they called a rabbi. So Rabbi Manus told me, he said, I went into the hospital room. And I walk in, and the boy is watching television. He wouldn't even look at me. He wouldn't even pick up his head to look at me. I say, hi, and he says, hi. What happened? This boy really felt that his life was worthless, and he was one big failure. And he decided to end it. And you know what? Even that failed. So he's now in the hospital. So Rabbi Manas says, how are you? How have you been? How are you doing? He says, listen, if you're going to tell me what the priest just told me, you could leave now. So the rabbi says, what did the priest tell you? The priest told me that God loves me. If you're going to say the same words, just leave now, I'm not interested. So Ramana says to him, what bothered you so much about what the priest said? So the boy says, God loves me. What's there to love? So the rabbi says, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe God doesn't love you. This the boy wasn't expecting from a rabbi. You know, the rabbi, the priest, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. I mean, that's the language. The language of the priests and it's the language of the rabbi. But suddenly the rabbi says, maybe God doesn't love you. He picks up his head. For the first time, he was watching television. He picks up his head and he looks at him. He saw that he got him. He says, maybe God doesn't love you. And boy says, yeah, of course not. With everything I did, I'm such a failure. There's nothing to love. And the rabbi looked him in the eyes and says, maybe. Maybe he really does not love you. But one thing I know for sure. He needs you. Maybe he doesn't love you, but he needs you. He got his soul. He touched his soul. Why? Because that never changes. If I have been a failure, I have been a disappointment, I have been a letdown. I let down myself. 
I let down other people. I let down my loved ones. I let down the world. I let down Hashem. That may be true. And there's a lot of regret and a lot of remorse and a lot of failure there. And just to ignore that and make believe it didn't happen, I can't ignore that and make believe it didn't happen. What if it did happen? And what if it's true? Maybe I'm exaggerating it, but even if I'm exaggerating it, a part of it is true. I have to understand something. Maybe I have failed miserably, but God needs me. So the fact that I was not successful yesterday only means that he needs me more. And the fact that I was unsuccessful two days ago and a week ago and a year ago and maybe for so many years, it only means that he erst needs me, (laughs) that the need is so much more powerful. So says the Rebbe, this sense of what you may call yeshes, a sense of of, of self-worth, of self-existence, this is not an enemy to Avedis Hashem. This is the greatest help and assistant to Avedis Hashem. That's a way of understanding in avoid in a person's life. What's the idea that the clippers in the beginning of creation, not only were they not an opposition to holiness, not only did they not conceal holiness, on the contrary, they were the protector of holiness. Their entire job was there to bring out the Kedusha in the person. This is all the way Clipper was designed in the ideal world before sin. That's what happened. What happens now, after sin? Something changes. Let's see. We're over the fifth paragraph of the Mimer. I want to learn these two paragraphs. And we're going to continue also tomorrow, Friday morning. Blina, we'll have a shir 7.30. But I want to learn now these two paragraphs. The sin of the tree of knowledge affected that the clippers should be in opposition to holiness. In the beginning, they were not opposed. They did not even conceal. They were actually a protector. What happens through the sin? The clip has become an opposition. There is now an opponent. Because through the sin, there became a mixture of good and bad. Before the sin, good and bad were not mixed. Which means the clippers were not in the place of holiness. The kivin shinyonam hoyashmirava gonalakdusha had a mekemakdusha. Because clipper defined itself as a protector for holiness, it remained outside of the sphere of holiness. Come by Marshall Bagachmis, that clipper shall apri labor makama priaps my alamchutzlapri. I know bena pri be machmechutzlapri bihdela hogan a la pri masha chutze men. Just as physically, what is a clipper? A clipper is not in the space of the fruit. It's outside the space of the fruit. When the or- there's an orange, and outside of the orange, you have a clipper that protects the orange. It's not inside the fruit. There's the fruit, and then there's the clipper. In other words, the clipper separates. It's the border, it's the boundary between the fruit itself the substance of the fruit, and that which is completely outside of the fruit because the clipper, the husk, and the shell protects the fruit from that which is outside of it, which is 
whether the scorching heat or the moist of the rain or, or, or viruses or bacteria or infections or, or whatever it is that may damage this fruit, the, the climate, the weather, decomposition, whatever it is, the husk protects the fruit from that, from forces which are outside the fruit. So the klipa is not in the fruit itself. It's outside, it's separate. And it's very clear what is the orange and what is the husk. In the fruit itself, you don't have the clipper. The clipper is there to protect the fruit from that which is outside. So that's why the husk is in between. It's more than this. What is more? The purpose of the shell is till you come to eat it. Once you eat it, now you have to discard the shell. You peel the banana peel and you throw it away. You don't eat the banana peel. In other words, the husk has a function while the fruit is growing. When it's growing, it's critical. And it's what allows it to become edible. If you don't have the clip, it's never going to become edible. It's never going to develop. You're going to lose it. So it's a very interesting thing. To make it edible, you must have the clipper. Once it's edible and you want to eat it, now the clipper becomes a disturbance. <laughs> you don't dig into the peel. You don't eat the peel of the... I mean, you could eat certain peels. But generally, you take off the peel. You throw it away, you discard it. And then you eat the fruit. So what do we see from here? That there is a very clear distinction. The clipper is never in the place of the fruit and substitutes the fruit. No, its boundaries are very clear. I'm here to protect you and therefore I'm outside of you. On two levels. First of all, physically, it's outside of the pre. Number one. And number two, you're going to throw it away at some point. You're not going to eat it. So there's a very clear distinction. That's what a healthy clipper is. A healthy clipper knows, I'm a clipper. I'm here to protect you. I'm not you. I'm outside of you. I'm protecting you from that which is outside of you, that it shouldn't be able to penetrate you. It's like the skin, the epidermis of the human body. The epidermis, epidermis, the skin, the hide of the human body is the first clipper that protects us from foreign invaders. When a virus, Khalila, has to enter, wants to enter a human body, it first has to uh, deal with the skin. <laughs> the skin doesn't let invaders come in. Most invaders don't come in. That's why we could survive. The virus is a chachem The virus is a and the virus has a mechanism that convinces the skin that he's a friend, not an enemy. So he manages to penetrate security, and he manages to penetrate a healthy cell because of the way the virus develops that gives the impression that it's a friend of the body. And then the virus abducts the healthy cell and uses its mechanism to replicate itself and spread throughout the body. Coronavirus and every other virus. And all those who need a recovery should have a complete and speedy recovery. But the body is very sensitive to invaders. It's a clipper, but it's a good one. I don't want the fruit to get damaged. I want the fruit to be whole, to be good, to be edible. So there's a very clear distinction that the, the clipper is not in the place of the fruit itself. And especially when it comes to eating, because you're going to throw away the clip. What is this in Avaida? What is this in Avaida of a person? Avaida. 
משום שאז אפשר שהיצר ינגד אל העבודה בתיינס מי אני אומני ולכן צריך להיות אז עניין הישר כדי להגן על העבודה אבל אחר כך כשמגיע לאמצע העבודה עד שבא למדרגס ומצוסס לבובי נאמן לפניך שהוא בבחינס וליבי חלו בקרבי הרי אז אין חשש שעד לסנגדוס היצר ולכן אז צריך לבטלס עניין הישר לגמרי היינו שבמקום הישר אין בעיסי מקום מדרגה של העבודה עצמה אלא רק בין העבודה והיצר המנגד על העבודה אבל בעבודה עצמה אין נגד של ישר What is this in Avayda? We explained before that the clipper that protects the fruit is the concept of yeshes. A little bit yeshes, which means a tiny sense of, 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 of self, uh, I, don't, I don't want to use the word arrogance, it's not really arrogance, but a very, a very significant, a significant sense of self-worth. of self-dignity, of self-inflation, which one needs to have in the beginning of Avedis Hashem to protect them from the Yetzirah, who wants you to feel, I am a nobody. What am I and who am I? Mani or Miani or Miani, who am I and what am I? How dare I think that I can build and construct a life of a true relationship with truth and with Hashem and change the world? Who do I think I am? This is vital in the beginning of a person's Avaidah, but when in the beginning of your Avaidah? Because the fruit will not develop without the clipper. And what's going to happen? That fruit is going to be devoured or rotten or decomposed or fallen off or eaten up or consumed or scorched or so wet that it won't be able to develop. It needs to have, like grain has a chaff, also a clipper. You're not going to have the kernels of grain if you don't have a chaff protecting it from the dangers that exist in the weather. You need sun and you need rain and the birds are there and the animals are there and the infections are there and the viruses are there and the bacteria is there. They're there. They're part of the ecosystem, ecosystem. They're part of the ecosystem and it's part of the equilibrium of our planet and therefore they are there. And without the sun and without the rain, you're not going to have photosynthesis. You're not going to have the rain that allows the soil to produce the grain or any other vegetable or any other fruit. But you must have the clipper, therefore, to protect it. So it could develop, whether it's the kernels of grain, whether it's any other fruit or vegetable or legume. And as a result of that, the clipper becomes vital. And if you get rid of it, you're left with nothing. But now comes the point when you want to eat, when you want to eat. Ooh, now, now the clip is not necessary. Now what yesterday was your savior and protector, today becomes something, excess, something uh, excessive, unnecessary, superfluous. In the beginning of Avoida, the clip is very, very important. But the clipper is always understood as something outside of the fruit. It protects the fruit, but it's not the fruit. So there's this fruit and there's the clipper of the fruit. You eat the fruit and you get rid of the clipper. That's clipper in the ideal world. That's the clippers, the way they were created by God before the Chet Etzadas. In a person's life, in the beginning, I need the clipper. I need to have that yeshes. When a person, though, is already in the middle of the Avoid, to a point where we say by Avram Avinu, you found his heart loyal, Levavoy with two vases. So Chazal say, 
both elements, both uh, ventricles of the heart were loyal. says, my heart is, is void in me, which means he did not have to fear anymore that position of the Yitzhahara. Now you don't need any yeshes. Now there's just oneness with truth, just a conduit of the divine. There's no need for any sense of self whatsoever. Why? Because the place of yeshes, the place of, of self-worth, is never in the same place of the avoida itself. It stands between your avoida and your yetzahara, like the shell of a fruit. In the avoida itself, the avoida is the fruit itself. There's no feeling of yeshes, of I. What stands in between you and your avoida and the yetzahara, your avoida is Hashem and the yetzahara, you must have that klippa. And without that klippa, the fruit will not develop. But the boundaries are very clear. This is the fruit. This is the shell around the fruit. And when you eat, you get rid of the shell. What is this in a person's life? In the beginning, as my fruit is developing, and as long as it's developing, and as long as there are the forces of the Yetzirah inside of me, I must have the clipper of Yeshes. I must have that powerful sense of I. There's a deeper place. When my apple, when my fruit is already ripe and developed, now I don't need any more of that clipper. And it doesn't mean then the person disappears. It means that the person experiences themselves as just an extension of Hashem. I am a conduit for Hashem. So the whole I is just one with its creator. There's no separateness anymore. But in a world where I have a Yetzirah who is telling me, that I'm nothing and I'm valueless and I'm insignificant and I'm a shmata, now it's very, very important to build up that sense of I in order to be able to start serving Hashem. This is the beginning of the explanation. This is going to develop here because there's quite a few details that we have to understand still, which we're going to continue Bezer Hashem tomorrow morning. I'm going to take some questions. So please, tomorrow morning, remember 7.30 a.m. We're going to have a shir. Let's go to the questions here. Let me refresh the page. Okay, I'm grateful that the internet came back on. Okay, number one. Reb Aaron. Reb Aaron says, I think the real secret is not to put the shear on double speed, but rather to put it on half the speed. <laughs> to take it in. Thank you. Can it be said that the Yitzhahara has many weapons at his disposal? Some weapons are actually opposite one to the other. One person he convinces he's a nothing, he's worthless, so the person needs a little self-esteem. Yes, just... The other person he convinces that he's God's gift to mankind, the greatest, the best. So this person needs humility. Yeah, no question. The Yitzhara, you know, it's like a virus. It mutates. It didn't get you today. It wants to get you the next winter. It, it, the Yitzhara mutates. The divine energy is in the blood. We deal with the blood of sacrifices and we eat the meat in a particular way. We're not to cause the blood to flow out of living beings certainly not humans, wantonly. How does this fit with the old and maybe current practice of bloodletting and the modern blood transfusions? Okay, it's a great question, but of course, bloodletting was only a prerequisite for, for, for healing, for refua. In the days of the Talmud, Hakazazdam, bloodletting was a very common practice which was used for medicinal purposes, for healing, and even many generations after the Talmud. 
till today, certain situations it's used much, much more, uh, more rarity, but it's still used. But over there, it's always a prerequisite for healing. In other words, it's in order to be able to strengthen a person's energy. So therefore, it's, it's fine. But we have also the concept of kisui hadam, right? When we shecht a chicken, a bird, or a chaya, an undomesticated kosher animal, which is a mitzvah, to cover the blood, to protect the blood. God conveys a message to the Jewish people with the blood that comes out of the curtain, the parachus, that it's painful for him as well. But this is the second destruction. Perhaps the pain was attenuated by the historical fact that this destruction has occurred before, and yet there was a redemption from the Gullus and rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. Yeah. Okay, next question. It's interesting to think about the correlation of 17 Tammuz today and the cessation of the daily Tamid in relation to the depth of the relationship expressed to the carbon Tamid based on your earlier class this week. Also, the line about the therapist saying a healthy relationship requires checking in every three hours is fascinating. Okay, beautiful. What's the connection with Titus uh, stabbing the parachus and blood coming out. Well, that's what I explained from the Balatanya that actually was showing the Jewish people, and this is an incredible insight, what their sins have achieved, what their sins affected. The blood that came out was really a physical manifestation of what their sins have done. Kevayachal, the blood of the divine, the, the, the life force of the whole world, which is divine, the name of Havaya was ruptured, as the Kabbalah, as the Arizal puts it. So Hashem showed the Jewish people what they achieved, what was catastrophically created through their sins, through the divisiveness, through the hatred, through the slander, through the gossip, through the horrible fighting, through the murder, the, the terrible murder then, through all the stuff that was going on, he showed them what happened. They ruptured Kivayachal, the divine um, system, the divine living organism of, of the world, of Eretz Yisrael, of Yerushalayim, of the Beis Hamikdash. And where's the blood going now? The blood is all over the place. To, to the point that the blood can give new energy to Titus. That's what the Baal Atani says in Lekut Torah. The Rebbe Rashab in Amayim et Tofresh Ayin 1919, adds, Hashem also wanted to show Titus something. Don't think that you have the power to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. The only reason you have the power to destroy the Beis HaMikdash is, as he puts it, because the blood has spilled and has poured out from the Kalim of Atzillus. The blood has, is not contained anymore in the vessels of holiness. The vessels were shattered or, or pierced or penetrated or perforated. And therefore the energy could go to the places of Clippus and give a person like you extra animation and energy. Don't think that you are destroying the Beis HaMikdash. That's what he wanted Titus to know. What did Titus think? They said, oh, I killed him. I killed him. So this brings it all together. Okay, next question. The way I understand this is, God has been compassionate from the beginning because he knew that he created us with the flaws that he wants us to overcome. 
He gives us and keeps giving us many opportunities to do that, to overcome our challenges, to work on making ourselves better. One of the reasons we're still here is because of his compassion. Adam and Chava did not die immediately after they ate from the tree, but they eventually will die. Could that be the meaning of you shall die? We'll get to that. Instead of living forever, they were expelled. But I'm asking if this is the way he wanted it in the first place, was there no intent for us to live forever? Excellent question. We're going to get to that. Besides the creation of the cities of refuge for those who kill by accident, are there other examples of God saying you will die, but it didn't happen because it was substituted with other things? I don't remember. Committing a sin, passing blood from one to another like murder. The cosmic explanation of transporting energy of holiness into the domain of unholiness. Holiness is therefore blocked or destroyed. It's blocked from us. This is a whole new way for me to see what exactly an Aveir is, what it causes, what it does. Flip side, when you do a mitzvah, it benefits the world. Can it be said that it's like murdering your chances of living? Serving God is living. Excellent. Very well said. What an Avera is, yeah. It literally, it, uh, it, it's blocked. The holiness is blocked. We transport the energy of the holiness into the domain of holiness, and the holiness is blocked from us. Very, very well. I always thought Klippa was a negative concept. We always say Klippa is a horrible thing, but suddenly you're saying, no, it actually can be very, very good. That's going to be the point very well. Yetzirah was created by God, it keeps us on our feet, that's true. Self-confidence is the word, not arrogance, at least for me. Arrogance is derogatory. Many people appear to not have self-confidence. They need self-confidence. All this makes me understand more of how we're supposed to make ourselves better every day, collectively and individually. Okay. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, let's, let's take the last question here. Beautiful questions, by the way, everybody. Beautiful, beautiful questions. Okay, somebody just wrote, the idea the Rebbe makes is found in great Musa Swaram. Take a look in Rabbeinu Yoyna, Yisoyed HaTshuva. Exactly, beautiful. Rabbeinu Yoyna says, a person will think, how can I do tshuva? I'm such a sinner. I did so many sins. I'm like a thief. I'm embarrassed to come. How can I trample his courtyard and fulfill his mitzvahs? Don't think so. Don't think so. Because this comes from the Sahara. You have to realize that God wants you back and create a new heart for yourself and throw away your sins. Beautiful. Rabbeinu Yoyna, Yisoyed HaTshuva. Mesilas Yisharim, 19. Rabbeinu Moshe Chaim Lotzato. If a person says, what am I? Who am I? I'm going to pray for the end of exile and for Yerushalayim. You think because of my prayers, Mashiach is going to come? The answer is, the Gemara Mishnah says in Sanhedrin, man was created alone. Adam and Chava are the progenitors of all humans. So everyone should say, for me, the world was created. And it creates a pleasure for Hashem when his children daven for this. And even if God doesn't fulfill their request because it's not the time yet or any other reason, you do your thing. Realize your power and God is happy. Somebody asks that Samach Tzedek writes in Eir HaToyre Pesach, Nun Gimel, that the Gemara says you shouldn't have any arrogance. Which is a little bit. But Chometz is arrogance. And Chometz, you're not allowed to even have a drop, even a mashu. So Samach Tzedek says, Atalmet Chachem, 
can have a little bit, just like Shavuos, you're allowed to have Chametz in the Beis HaMikdash, the Shtei Alechem was made from Chametz, because Shavuos represents a Talmud Chachem, because it's Torah. On Shavuos you can have Chametz, but on Pesach you can't have Chametz, because on Pesach you're still arguing with the Yitzhahara, the word Matzah means also a fight, Matzah Meriv is a quarrel. When you're fighting with the Yitzhahara, there's no Chametz whatsoever. Shavuos is after Sefer Yisraeli, you can have Chametz. So the Talmud Chachem can have, can have Yeshes, and not, and not the, and not the not Talmud Chachem. How does this fit into everything we're discussing? It seems only a Talmud Chachem needs this yeshes. Here it seems the opposite. When your Yitzhahara is still struggling, you need the yeshes. It's an excellent question, and I'm going to answer it in coming shiurim. Okay, it's a very good question. Very good question. It seems like mamish opposite of what the Tzamech Tzedek is saying. Tzamech Tzedek is saying only the Talmud Chachem can have yeshes. And here he's saying, Fakert, once you hit a higher place in Avayi, they get rid of the yeshes. The yeshes is only in the beginning. It's like the clip of the fruit. The answer is, it's talking about two different types of yeshes. But we'll get there. Was Adam caught between a rock and a hard place? <laughs> Hashem is called a rock. And his wife, Chava, Hashem said, don't eat. Chava said, eat. What are you supposed to do? Listen to God or listen to your wife? Moreover, Adam was unaware of what had never existed before, the concept of sin and punishment and death. So it could be seen as accidental. It was like accidental murder. He was banished from Ganeidin like accidental murderers because the whole thing was a mistake. Okay, interesting. Well, it'll become clear later. We know the concept of Ben Sarah murder never actually happened. Do we know of any accidental murders where people were banished to Ari Miklat, to cities of refuge? I have to research that. It's a good question. I've heard that there are movies where the audience is given the choice of two endings, tragedy or happy. God gives free choice. He knows our choices in advance, past, present, and future. So before the sin of the tree of knowledge, there were two possible trajectories the world could take. And it depended upon Adam's choice, how the movie will play out. As usual, Hashem knew his choice in advance. If he had wanted a different result, he could have made the circumstances less enticing and convincing. So somehow we must say that he wanted this choice, this trajectory of the world, the possibility of death. You got a point. Is that true? You got a point. Cain and Hevel were sin number one. Eating from the tree of knowledge was not the first. No, that was the first. Cain and Hevel is number two. A Talmud Chachem has to have an eighth of an eighth of arrogance. One sixty-fourth. Notice that it's less than 160th, which we consider Batal Bashishim. Very good, it says that. A Baal Tshuva must have a little arrogance to keep his individuality at first. Later on, a Talmud Chachem doesn't even need that. Notice that the teeny bit of self-confidence, the teeny bit of arrogance, is Harsinai, the lowest of mountains, but it was a mountain. Very good, yeah. The Maimer says that a new Balchuva must have a tiny bit of yeshes to keep his individuality. Yet some in the other movements try to make him a complete low shmata. They have Bachrim go into a bakery, ask for a pound of nails. I don't know if that's done today. Obviously a different approach. Okay, beautiful, beautiful questions, guys. Questions, I don't know, questions, comments, feedback. Where's the class on the davening? 
If you go to the yeshiva.net, you'll see one of the top features is, does Hashem really need me? That was a class. The, la- the end of it was about davening. I wish you all a beautiful day. Thank you all for joining us. I'm sorry for the t- technical mishaps, but uh, it was beyond my control. And uh, have a beautiful day, an inspiring day. It's a special day, an ace rotsen, especially for Torah and Tefillah and Tzedakah, to focus on Geula, and may it be transformed to a day of joy with the Geula Shlema B'mheira B'amenu. Amen. See you all tomorrow morning, God willing, Friday morning, Yudches Tammuz, 7.30 a.m. We'll continue the Maimer. In the meantime, Chazak Chazak, Venis Chazek. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.